Good morning, church. Today is the final message in our marriage series. If you're new to us, just know that today you're getting a fifth string quarterback. Now, don't worry. Next week, Pastor Curtis will be back and he'll start us off in a new series. Today, we're going to be talking about faith over feelings. Let's jump in. I want to open by talking about Mary and Joseph and how faith prevailed over what they must have been feeling early on. Matthew 118. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt when he found out Mary was pregnant? Can you imagine how Mary felt going to Joseph to tell him? Think of the social ramifications. I think it's safe to say that becoming pregnant outside of betrothal was frowned upon in their day. They would, this would be seen as a major issue for them, and I'll explain. The procedure for betrothal carried with it several elements. A man could betroth a woman either by his own acts or that of his agent, and the same was true for the woman with her father's permission. A barter would happen. This would include a stipend, a dowry, a payment of sorts. I explain that to say we really should consider that it really was a legally binding contract that each side was to uphold. Once the contract had been made between the parties involved, it was custom to seal the betrothal by means of a party. The engagement was legally binding until the wedding date, usually a year or so away, when the couple would then consummate the marriage. Now, think about Mary for just a moment. Ladies, let's say that one of your friends calls you up and asks you out for coffee. She tells you she's met a great guy and she got engaged. Next, she says, I'm still a virgin but I'm pregnant. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought is likely to be, um, that's not how things work. And in Mary's day, under Jewish law, she would have been a social outcast should she be suspected of adultery. Mary had to be very concerned that Joseph would divorce her and that her village would shun her. Matthew 1.19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Joseph was kind. He didn't want to bring disgrace upon Mary. He could have divorced Mary and kept the dowry. Matthew 1.20, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, Joseph was able to humble himself because he had faith and he heard from God. Joseph valued his obedience to God above his own honor. He put away his concerns about Mary and about how others would treat them. Now keep in mind that even though Joseph's dream was enough to convince him, he and Mary would still face a lot of social ramifications. Now often today, our way to hear from God is through his word. Through God's word, we find our footing. We find our faith. In our marriage and really all across life, we must live by faith, not feelings. That's today's topic, faith, not feelings in marriage. Choosing our faith over feelings to have a good marriage is a path we follow, not some sort of quick fix. These principles, if applied by two good and willing people, they will deepen your marriage. Now, those of you that aren't married, don't check out on me. These will be great tools for your life as well. Again, our big idea today is that you must live by faith, not feelings. We all get it, though. Hollywood has quite an effect on us today. 
Ladies, some of you watched a show like Cinderella as a young girl and hoped for your Prince Charming. Men, maybe you played football and hoped to win the heart of the head cheerleader. Or, like me, maybe you watched a war movie and wanted to come home to all the glory and respect of your adoring wife. If we could transport ourselves back in time about a hundred years, it would be enlightening to observe marriages in the days of our great-great-grandparents. Although their lives were difficult in many ways, less than 10% of marriages ended in divorce. Their major struggles were centered on working long hours to provide the basic necessities like food, shelter, and clothing. They also had to overcome diseases that claimed the lives of every fifth child and the deaths of many mothers during childbirth. Now, if our great-great-grandparents could have transported themselves forward in time and observed married life today, they would no doubt be stunned by the modern advances that make life so easy today. Also, though, they would be appalled that so many decide to divorce today. So how do we explain the seeming contradiction between the high marital success rate during the harder times of the past and the low marital success rate in today's modern world? Well, there's a fork in the road for Christ followers. Are we going to live by the example of Hollywood or God's holy word? Hollywood knows how to tap into our happily ever after feelings. In reality, those feelings are tapping into a part of us that knows paradise does exist and can be experienced. The paradise that God gives us. The problem is we often let Hollywood define what paradise looks like. They create an expectation of how marriage should be through movies, television, and books. Ladies, you know those romantic books I'm talking about. On the front of these romantic novels is some big strapping man with no shirt on. Now let's ask ourselves, is that image sustainable? Can our marriages be that romantic 99% of the time? Well, God's Word gives us an answer. In 1 Corinthians 7.28, he says, But those who marry will face troubles in this life. So how do we reconcile what the Bible says versus what Hollywood says? If you marry, you will have trouble. Yet the culture surrounding us says, If you have trouble, you simply married the wrong person. Why do some of us subscribe to the scripts of Hollywood rather than the scriptures? Hollywood certainly puts its best foot forward, even though they don't live in this way themselves. We see how often they divorce. We really have to be careful here. Again, Hollywood tells us we can have paradise now, and if you don't, you probably married the wrong person. Now, when we marry, we want to find the right person, but we seem to rarely think about being the right person. Once we get into the relationship and things get tough, once that honeymoon phase wears off, we think, obviously, the other person is responsible for our unhappiness. Then we might begin to think we made a bad choice. Then maybe we mess up and start looking around. And if you're actually fantasizing about a relationship with another person, then you're really under the wrong influence. Listen, if the grass is greener on the other side, water your lawn. Pull some weeds. Put some fertilizer down. Remember, as Pastor Curtis says, what gets your attention gets your direction, and what gets your direction gets your destination. Are we going to trust in God's Word or the world when it comes to our marriage? Now, last month, Pastor Curtis taught us using King David as an example. One thing about that that really stuck out to me personally was complacency. See, at that time of year, King David normally would have been out to war. 
But just before he called Bathsheba to him, he had decided to stay home. Men and women, we need to be engaged in the battle. We need to fight for our marriages. We can't get complacent. When we're focused on our marriage, on our kids, and on advancing the kingdom of God, we will stay on a better path instead of becoming complacent. Now on the screen, you'll see a graphic. This is courtesy of the Bullard Family Graphics Department, and that consists of Jesse Bullard. In this graphic, we see an example of a trinity. Now, one thing I've come to believe about the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that perfect relationship is found there. As a married couple, we are also part of a trinity. That's God, husband, and wife. You'll notice that when we are farther from God, we're farther from each other. But when we are closer to God, we will be closer to each other. Now, we certainly aren't perfect, as the Holy Trinity is perfect, but we are meant for relationship in this way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Every Christ follower must come to a point where they're either going to trust God's holy word or the world. At Harvest Connection, we believe that if people are going to have success in marriage, they must learn to make their decisions based on the unchanging principles expressed in God's Word. We're committed to teaching and preaching God's Word as the final authority over every area of life. Now, in that Trinity example of God, husband, and wife, we see a good illustration of how we're closer to each other if we're closer to God. To be closer to God, we need to do more than come to church on Sunday. Here at Connection, we hope to disciple you. We want to get you in a life group. We want to see you plugged in to our men's and women's ministries. The thing is, though, we can only set you up for a better relationship with God. We can't do it for you. There are some disciplines you should begin to desire to put in place. To grow closer to the Lord, you need to be in His Word regularly. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You should want to ponder on and learn what God's word actually says so you can ensure you're learning to apply what God wants you to apply to your life. As Pastor Curtis often says, if you win your mornings, you can win your day. If you read God's word, digest his word, and spend time in conversation with God, you will have a much better chance of winning the rest of your day. Ephesians 5.33 However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. God says love your wife even if she isn't being respectful, and to respect your husband even if he isn't being loving. It's better to do what's right even if we don't feel like it, maybe especially when we don't feel like it. Follow the word of God, not feelings. Sometimes we can feel something, but it's contradictory to Scripture. Go with Scripture. Now, about a month ago, I was blessed to serve a large group of first responders at Wind River, Colorado. I'm sorry, Wind River in Estes Park, Colorado with Pastor Curtis. We stayed in a cabin with a Navy SEAL. He told us a little bit about how they pressure terrorists overseas so that the terrorists keep their heads down so they don't end up coming after us over here at home. I bring that up to explain there will be a battle. Earlier, I briefly mentioned how King David could have been in the battle, but he stayed home. Maybe he got complacent. If we aren't proactive in our marriage, if we don't learn new tools to work with, if we don't lean on God's word, we'll find we're the ones that have to tuck and run 
when the enemy lays out his traps. And we know the adversary wants to attack our marriages. One of the best ways to dismantle the church and ultimately society is to break up marriages. We have to stay in the battle. We have to be prepared with multiple tools so we don't find ourselves under attack and unable to respond. Some of you will understand what I mean when I say suppressive fire. Suppressive fire is when we send a lot of rounds downrange. The basic concept is to cause the enemy to keep their heads down, and that gives us time to regroup, maneuver, and advance. If we don't have the right tools, we'll be the ones that find ourselves in trouble when rounds start flying. And we know in marriage there will be troubles. So again, our message today is to live by faith, not feelings. Let's look at how that applies to the three different cycles that we've been discussing through this marriage series. Number one is the crazy cycle. Earlier I said that the husband should love his wife even when the wife isn't respecting him, and that the wife should respect her husband even when her husband isn't loving her. When we choose otherwise, we're likely to find ourselves in this crazy cycle. The crazy cycle says that without love, she reacts, and without respect, he reacts. If we live based on a feeling, which is actually the reason we find ourselves in this crazy cycle, we'll find that the husband will claim or feel like she's being disrespectful, causing me to feel disrespected. The wife, she'll claim or feel like he's being unloving, causing me to feel unloved. Well, if those feelings are real, then the feelings must be right, correct? Or are those feelings kind of wrong? Every married couple has their own version of a crazy cycle. Craziness happens when we do the same wrong things over and over and expect different results. That's also a great definition of insanity. Husbands, you must trust by faith that your wife is not trying to be disrespectful, but is probably feeling unloved. Wives, you must trust by faith that your husband is not trying to be unloving, but is probably just feeling disrespected. Now, many years ago, Amber and I got to participate in a marriage group. That group taught us a lot about ourselves and each other. In that group, we had to put in a lot of hard work. I had to reach way back into my childhood, and I had never done anything like that before, and really dig in to see what was at the root of my personal feelings and behaviors. I'll just tell you all that I spent a lot of time sweaty and very uncomfortable. And Amber, she put in that same hard work. We were able to discover the root causes of what sends us into our personal crazy cycle. Now, preparing for this message, I asked Amber to give me an example of something I've done that really sent her into her pain cycle or crazy cycle. And that wasn't an easy question to ask, because one thing I've learned about Amber in the last 20 years is that she will tell me the truth when I ask her a question. Her answer caused me to really reflect. Now, way back when I was in the military, I got married. That was my first marriage, and it ended in divorce. From that marriage, I have my oldest daughter, Jacy. for those of you that know her. Now, divorce has many consequences that play out over a lifetime. One of those consequences shows up when there's disciplinary issues and both households need to come together to work through things. Many of you will understand what I'm saying. And we actually have a ministry here called Blended Families, led by Oscar and Eliza Cruz, that meets on Saturdays if you'd like to learn more tools for your blended family. 
Now, when I asked Amber to tell me something I've done to put her in her crazy cycle, she told me that back when JC was in, still in high school, there were times when I would work through some issues with JC's mom, but I failed to keep Amber properly informed, or at times I even failed to properly include her in the conversation. Now, see, I, I thought I was doing my best to not put more burden on Amber than necessary. I genuinely did not mean to hurt her in any way. I actually worked through things that way on purpose at times in an attempt to be kind. So Amber went on to explain to me that it was often a week or more before she'd get all of the details, and that really made her feel disconnected from me. And that feeling of being disconnected made her feel like part of our life was out of control. And that, in turn, made her feel very unloved. Now, just to be clear, I know Amber is right. My good intentions really didn't matter at all, only my poor actions. What can happen when we enter this crazy cycle is that our feelings end up affecting our spouse in a way that sets off their crazy cycle. Even if our intentions were good, our actions matter. We all know that communication is key. Even though we all know it, we still mess it up sometimes. If husbands and wives are to understand the love and respect connection, They must realize that they communicate in code. And the problem is they may not yet know how to decipher the messages that they consistently send to each other. When we find ourselves in the crazy cycle, we have to decode. Meaning, to decode, we need to consider the truth of God's word or we'll never get off the crazy cycle. We'll just keep spinning further out of control. Now, when I was in the military, I learned a lot of good life lessons. One of those life lessons is that it's good to be around people that can remain calm and think when everything is going crazy around them. If you can't remain calm and get out of your feelings, you might not get to go home. And we're only as good as the training we've received or that we are willing to receive. Now, that's a character trait that I really appreciate and that I've worked hard to hone in over the years. Now, in my example with Amber, honestly, as far as I know, I never went into my crazy cycle. Why do you think that is? Well, because even though I messed up with Amber, even though I made her feel unloved, she remained calm. She stepped off the crazy train instead of yelling, all aboard. She has respected me through a lot of times when I've messed up. Maybe Amber, being the most mature one in the relationship, moved first. In the midst of conflict, we need to ask ourselves, why are we negatively reacting to each other? The light of God's word is saying to decode so you can get off the crazy train. When we're stuck in our feelings, we can begin to believe that those feelings are correct. But we need to move from our feelings to our faith. We need to listen to God's word. If you, I'm sorry, you don't have to react if you're in your crazy cycle. And if your spouse is in their crazy cycle, you don't have to overreact to that either. Someone has to create, step off the crazy cycle. The sooner, the better. Remember, someone can wrong us and we don't have to choose to be offended. Being offended is a choice, even if the other person is completely wrong. My response is my responsibility. You're married to a person that can sin. That's no secret. But they're not evil, right? They're not intending to be unloving or disrespectful, meaning that's not their goal. Most of the time, they're feeling defensive or insecure themselves. 
Are we going on feelings or God's word? If you want to get off the crazy cycle, God's word must win the day. That applies to everyone in every situation in life. If someone cuts me off in traffic, I don't have to jump on that crazy merry-go-round with them. No matter how much, I'd prefer to play smash-up derby right there on Bell Street. All right, point number two, the energizing cycle. This is where his love motivates her and her respect motivates him. How do we motivate another person? I can tell you that when I got out of the Marine Corps, I really did not understand this concept. When I was in the military, any of the troops I was charged with authority over would do what I said one way or another. There were all sorts of very interesting ramifications for them if they didn't. Let's just say I was well known for enforcing my will upon others. When I got out, the world moved very, very slow, and people were very, very disrespectful. But back here in Amarillo, my antics didn't hold up, no matter how wrong the other guy was or how right I was. And honestly, I was usually right in my opinion, but very wrong in my execution, in my attempt to motivate others. I regularly pushed others into their pain cycle or crazy cycle. So, how do we motivate another person? How do we motivate our spouse? When we act out of our feelings, we say, I'm not going to give them what they want until they give me what I want. The man says, I'm not going to show her love until she shows me respect. The woman says, I'm not showing him respect until he starts showing me love. Well, how's that working out for you? Are you like that young Marine that tried to force his will upon others? You cannot motivate a person by withholding what they need most. To him, ongoing criticism is heard as contempt or disrespect. To her, ongoing stonewalling is viewed as an act of hostility, being unloving. If you're requiring someone else to show you love and respect before you show them love and respect, you're giving them complete control over you. You may think you're in control, but you're wrong. You're never in control when you react your only chance of being in control of yourself is when you respond properly. Your feelings may say, I'm not doing this until you do that. When he starts taking out the trash and doing the dishes, then I'll respect him. When she stops nagging me, then I'll start showing her love. But in Romans 5.8, God said, He demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wives, you can't motivate your husband by withholding respect. Husbands, you can't motivate your wife by withholding love. A marriage relationship will be energized when couples learn how to motivate each other God's way. Men, when we act in faith, we're loving so that we energize the relationship. Ladies, when you act in faith, you're respecting so that you energize that relationship. It's a faith venture, and you must stand on God's holy word to energize your relationship. In the end, we have to remember that we can't manipulate others. Christ doesn't force us to love Him. We can only control ourselves. The neat thing is, though, most of the time, if we put the work in from our side, our spouse will come around as well. Men, I have a question for you. What is your wife's love language? It can be a great thing to learn the love language of those around us, our spouse, our kids, our friends. For example... Some of you ladies won't understand what I'm about to say, but Amber doesn't like for me to get flowers for her. Now I get it. Some of you ladies really appreciate when your husband brings home flowers. 
That's just one quick example to show that we all have different love languages. So I asked Amber, I asked my wife and a few other ladies here at Harvest Connection for examples of what energizes them in their marriages. One thing I found in common is that it seems to revolve around doing the little things. See, I would have expected Amber to say, that trip to Hawaii was energizing. But she said she really appreciates and feels energized when I do acts of service for her. For example, if she's cooked supper and I do the dishes, or if she's folding and hanging laundry, I join in to help. With Amber, I don't think it's any specific task, just helping in general. So I asked her specifically, why does that show you that I appreciate you? And she said it's because she knows that I've recognized that it takes weight off of her and that I recognize the value of all she does for our family. Now, Eloise, she said she gets excited when she gets a spontaneous invitation to lunch from Miles. I asked her if it was the spontaneity that she liked, and she said, yeah, she does like that. But really, it was energizing to her to know that Miles was thinking about her and that he wanted to spend time with her. For example, he was in town for training. His buddies invited him to lunch, but instead, he thought of Eloise and asked her to lunch. Now, Amy, she said she appreciates and feels loved when Zach stands up to the children on her behalf. She doesn't even ask him to. He comes in, he catches her cleaning something up, a mess that the kids made. He stops her, goes and gets the kids, brings them out, and has them clean up. And he always guards the way their children talk to her. That's just three examples, y'all. But as you can see, each of these ladies feels loved and energized in slightly different ways. Each of these ladies has a husband that loves them dearly, but they've had to work to figure out the best way to show their wives that they're appreciated and loved. Now, ladies, us men, we have love languages too. If we're hungry, feed us. If we're tired, let us nap. And if we're... Well, I won't say that last example out loud. Kidding aside... Figure out what really makes your husband feel loved and respected. It's time well spent. 1 Peter 3.1, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wife. So number three, last but not least, we have the rewarded cycle. This is where he truly loves her. I'm sorry, this is where he truly loves her regardless of her respect, and she truly respects him regardless of of his love. What is God's ultimate purpose for your marriage? Think about that for a second. What is God's ultimate purpose for my marriage? It's amazing how many Christ followers have never connected their marriage to Christ because Hollywood is not interested in how Christ fits into marriage. They're not going to talk about that. They're not interested in doing marriage as unto Jesus. The ultimate purpose of my marriage currently is pointing my children to Jesus, and in turn, hopefully, my grandchildren and possibly my great-grandchildren. I am so thankful to have Amber as my wife. God truly put us together. He truly fit us, and we strengthen each other. We've learned to energize each other. We work to live by faith, not feelings. I hope my three daughters marry men that love them dearly, provide for them wonderfully, and treat them respectfully. The best way I know to make that happen is to ensure my daughters are close to the Lord and that they work to become young ladies that will uphold their end of a good marriage. I hope they're such a light for the Lord that they attract good men that will grow with them and strive to uphold biblical values. I've certainly been praying 
for them to have godly husbands for many years now. That's our current goal. How do we do that? Well, we do our best to model a good life for our daughters. We put God's Word into practice in our home. We study God's Word together as a family, and we let our daughters see how we work through issues and how we love and respect each other. We don't hide our kids from the world, but we do show them the better way in hopes that they'll be a light to others. See, some people have become so outcome-based that they think if their spouse isn't responding to them in the energizing cycle, they must be failing. That is a complete lie from the adversary. You can touch the heart of God by being a loving husband in the face of a woman who is being disrespectful. Ladies, you can touch the heart of God by being a respectful wife in the face of a man who is being unloving. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine if he added, You did marriage my way. Do you believe this statement? I'm going to do my part regardless of whether or not they do theirs. Well, if not, you've been influenced by the world or Hollywood. You can still do marriage God's way, even if your spouse is unwilling to. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. You must choose to live by faith, not feelings. Marriage is a marathon. Just ask my wife. If a man shows love to his wife over the course of the marriage, there's a high probability that she'll begin to show him respect. And if a woman shows respect to her husband over the course of the marriage, there's a high probability that he'll begin to show her love. But if there's no guarantee that they're going to change, even if I show them love and respect consistently, then why should I go all in? Well, because of who Jesus is and what he did for you, the way you treat your spouse is an act of worship. I'm going to conclude with this. Scientific research confirms something that we've had available to us for the last 2,000 years. Chapter 5 of Ephesians says, Men love your wives, ladies love your husbands. Scientific research confirms that love and respect are the foundation of a successful marriage. Dr. John Gottman, a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington led a research team that spent 20 years studying 2,000 couples who had been married 20 to 40 years to the same partner. These people came from diverse backgrounds and had wildly different occupations and lifestyles. But one thing was similar, the tone of their conversations. As these couples talked together, almost always there was what Dr. Gottman calls a strong undercurrent of two basic ingredients, love and respect. Love and respect are the direct opposite of and the antidote for contempt. Contempt being one of the most corrosive forces in a marriage. Now, another way I've heard this concept explained is that in a successful marriage, one key factor is the husband and wife both turn in toward each other. When one spouse engages the other, they turn in toward each other in body language, tone, and attention. Get closer to God and turn in toward your spouse. This concept has helped me put a good habit in place. Right there in the driveway, before I walk into the house, I make it a practice to stop and pray for the Lord to give me the energy and ability to engage my family properly, that I would always turn in 
toward them. Are you going to choose to live by faith or by feelings? If you need prayer today for your marriage or for anything else in your life, please text Connect for Prayer to the number 97000. Blessings.